I'm excited to to get into this. How's everyone doing? I'm doing well. I actually uh, got pretty much up to page fifty. I actually ended at page forty nine. Oh, that's because that was yeah, kind of like there's a, that chapter break there. That's where I right. stopped too. Yeah. Okay. Yes. We all have the same edition, right? It's the the one with the like chartreuse title and the blue sky on yeah. the cover. Yeah, and the little wispy cloud. Yeah. And the, yeah. And the daunting um, thickness. Yeah, ISBN mm-hmm. number 9780316066525. Yep, that's, that's us. Yeah. Yep, okay. great. Hi, Brianna. Hello. Nice to hear your voice. <laughs> Likewise. <laughs> so, are we ready to get started? I think so. I think okay. we are. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Hello and welcome to good-looking people in small, clever rooms that utilize every centimeter of available space with mind-boggling efficiency. We're here to read and talk about Infinite Jest, which is a long book that was published 24 years ago. I'm Andrew, and I'm joined by Brianna. Hello. We read Infinite Jest five years ago because my brother Jonathan bought it for me for Christmas, and I wanted to prove to myself I could do it, almost out of spite. I would say 20% out of spite. We invited him on the podcast, but he wouldn't do it. We're joined via Discord by first-time readers Vinny, who is a painter and filmmaker and a friend of mine from high school. Hello, Vinny. Hello, Andrew. And Norma, who is my mother and whom I have finally bullied into reading the aforementioned book now that she's isolated at home and running out of excuses. Hello. Hi, son and friends. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We may have some other guests on as we go along, but we're your core team. Uh, We're starting at the beginning, and we'll read about... 50-ish pages a week. We need to talk about whether we want to dial that back a little bit. Um, And we'll meet up to share our thoughts. Um, I'm really excited to reread this book because I genuinely love it, but I think there are probably some problems with it too. uh, And I don't want to shy away from discussing those. Um, And uh, yeah, so if you're following along, we've just read through page 50. So uh, before we start talking about the book itself, I'm just curious, like, so Brianna and I have read this, we read this together um, years ago, but I'm curious about the two of you, like, whether you have any preconceived notions about Infinite Jest or David Foster Wallace, or whether this is the first time that you've ever thought about this book? Well, <laughs> I, I think a lot about this I think a lot about this book. In fact, I've thought about a lot about it for several years because I think that Andrew gave me the book, gave me his copy uh, years ago, probably after he read it, and may have said that it was the best book he's ever read. I don't know. Uh, and he said that I should read it, and I tried. And <laughs> I, maybe, I maybe got a third of the way through. I can't even remember where I stopped. Uh, but at some point... Uh, I just couldn't pick it up again. I laid it down beside my bed and I couldn't pick it up again. Uh, and I felt bad about that because I, you know, I know it's supposed to be a really important book. And David mm-hmm. Foster Wallace is supposed to be a brilliant writer. And 
when I failed at this one, I I did read one of his smaller, shorter you novels. Read the Broom of the System, is that right? Yeah, I think so. It's set in Ohio, but not Ohio. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's really that funny. Book, because I tried to read that one and I couldn't get through it. <laughs> oh, well, I read that one. I read the whole thing and I didn't understand it at all. Good, good, and good it for was, you. And it was, it was particularly um, alarming or puzzling or something because I grew up in Ohio. And so references to like the great Ohio desert or something like <laughs> some, some such place, really every time it came up, it really bothered me. Uh, hmm. Places that are sort of what they seem and yet not. Yeah. So I'm assuming, I'm hoping that having having read that and and lived through the experience, that maybe now revisiting Infinite Jest, I'll be more comfortable not understanding what's going on most of the time. That's, that's my hope. I mean, that's kind of where I came down in in my first reading experience. I'm hoping that I get like that I can kind of get deeper into the text this time, but. I don't know. I read a, a lot of this book. I just kind of put my head down and barreled through without much thought for what any of it meant. <laughs> and I yeah, still well, think I got a fair amount out of it. Yeah, well, uh, after reading the other his other book, I, I feel like I have a better sense that there will just be some parts that I have no idea what the point is of any of it. And I will yeah. need to do the same, just barrel through it and kind of, I don't know. And I'm hoping that reading it with you, all of you people, that I'll understand more of it. Or at least I won't feel so bad about not understanding any of it. Absolutely. So Good. Yeah. Um, uh, Vinny, what about you? Uh, so mostly my relationship with this book is that I know that it is uh, supposed to be an extremely dense book. Um one of ends near unadaptable and things like that. Um, so I, let's see, I know it is about tennis, uh, cause you and Brianna spoke briefly about it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, besides that, I don't know too much else. Um, for David Foster Wallace, I also don't have a lot of, um, familiarity with him i think i may be confusing him with somebody else uh who wrote consider the lobster that's david foster the wallace same person. that yeah. is david foster wallace okay so i'm not confusing him with anybody i am thinking of david foster wallace have, have you read that i have not read it no i've considered reading it but i have not read <laughs> you've it. considered consider the lobster <laughs> yes <laughs> uh yeah, I mean, also a good read. It's all it's like nonfiction stuff, almost entirely. Right, yeah, I and yeah. I think mostly what I know about him is that um, is his like nonfiction essay work and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, th I, yeah, I've read it, and I think that there are some some bits in it that might come into discussion as we go through Infinite Jest. There's one essay in particular or a book review actually that i want to bring up as as we get to an appropriate point in this book but uh yeah i don't know he's he's definitely got some um eccentricities as a writer one of the things that comes up fairly often is just the collection of small words and but so and <laughs> mm -hmm. uh in this read, I am endeavoring to uh, note every time that that 
occurs. So mm-hmm. I'll keep you updated on that. Yeah, we haven't we haven't gotten to one yet. Actually, as I recall, oh no, there were there were well, at least two or three. Well, there, yeah, there's, yeah, there, we got there to an, a couple. We got to an and so but. Oh, oh I'm an an sorry. They all sound the same. There's also been an and but so. Oh, was there? Oh, oh yeah. my I goodness gracious. <laughs> Before I started reading Infinite Just the first time, um, my only interaction with it was seeing it in passing in the bookstore, knowing it was a really big and difficult book and thinking, eh, I'm not going to read that because I'm not pretentious. Yeah. I mean, that was like before Jonathan got it for me, that that was the only thing I ever thought. Like, it was one of those books that I would look at and think like who would ever want to mm-hmm. read that yeah <laughs> i yep. almost put it in a similar category of ulysses mm. maybe yes. that's me yeah. but yeah oh no same yeah that okay would... um and, and and i must confess also so jonathan got this for me for christmas in like 2012 2013 something like that 2013 yeah and i i didn't i just set it on a shelf and i didn't even consider reading it for years until other people that i knew started telling me that i should mm. um i i, I worked really? with yeah i, I don't with remember a, that story did, you, did yeah. you ever meet um owen uh he he um lobbied hard for me to read this book and said that it would be like a life-changing experience for me um which was I, it? I think it probably was. Yeah, I, mm. I, I don't know that I stand by my opinion that it's like the best book that I've ever read, but I do think it's a really good book. I have, um, I have this theory about the title. I, yeah. I keep thinking that, in, yeah. that the title is um, of extreme importance mm. to understanding. And there is, you know, the, the part of me that always suspects some kind of conspiracy <laughs> There's a part of me that thinks that maybe the infinite jest is that everyone who reads it gets to the end and thinks, I have no idea what that was, and I've wasted hours and hours reading this thousand-page book, <laughs> and now I'm going to go tell everyone that I meet that it's the best <laughs> book I've ever read, and you have to read it. You know, And it's um, some kind of horrible little club, little um, conspiracy club. I've heard something similar Except I've heard it in that you get to the end and then you immediately need to start again. Mm, yeah. Oh. Um, yeah. Which would also be an infinite jest. Yes. Yes. Mm. Yes. Um, yeah, that's actually, you know, let's put a, let's put a pin in that because I feel like that as an idea might come back um, several times as I recall. Uh, th- there's, yeah. So um, one of the things that, that I had trouble with when I first read this and that I think is, is maybe one of the reputations this book has is that it's got a lot of end notes. Um, mm. And we've just had like one or two so far yeah. and they're pretty short things. Right. Are, how do you both feel about the end notes and how, how that's going to affect your reading experience? I, in general, hate end notes in any book that I ever read, <laughs> novel or, or uh, nonfiction. Mm-hmm. I find them completely disruptive. I think that if it's something that should be in the, in the text, then it should just be in the text. Mm. Mm. So the, the, footnote, the end notes already make me mad because they go on <laughs> for pages and pages. <laughs> yes, this is true. 
And yet I feel compelled to read every word of them. So. <laughs> <laughs> I do think they're important. I've, I, I feel like I've known people who have read Infinite Jest, or I've, I, I've known of people who have read Infinite Jest but didn't read the end notes. Ah! Mm. I, hmm. I, I, no. Yeah, I feel that seems like, risky. Yeah. You'd miss out on a lot if you did that. Yeah. Um, for me, in general, I don't like end notes, uh, mostly because of this disruptive quality that's, you know, as opposed to like a footnote where you can just, where you're still on the page that you're at, you just go straight down to the footnote, you read whatever it is, okay, there you go, it's a footnote. But with end notes, you have to switch all the way to the end, there's this break in your um, reading quality and everything. But mm -hmm. with Infinite Jest, um, because I also sort of associate this a lot with House of Leaves, um, mm. it doesn't bother me, mostly because I see it as just a stylistic choice. And that this breaking up of it and everything is intentional. Yeah, I mean, it seems like an just another way to fracture this narrative that's already being fractured in other ways. Mm. Like... Just in, in reading through, we in the first 50 pages, we meet so many different characters. and I already feel like I should have an enormous like whiteboard wall where I can keep track of, the, of like I need a timeline. I already, after 50 pages, mm -hmm. feel like I need a timeline and a, a time and place line. Yeah. Some so, kind of timeline that intersects with a place line. So uh, I, I, did, I did some put, weird way. I put this together in my notes um, so we can kind of walk through this maybe. Yeah. Now, I also know. Um, now, did everybody else read the forward? Um, I didn't this time around, but I did the first. Time yeah, I, I read okay. it last I time. I did. I did read it. I can't remember it. It's <laughs> Dave okay. Eggers talking. David uh, yeah, Eggers I, I wrote I it, though. Uh, I was going to say that because of the forward, I also know that Erdetti. Uh, is going to be a pretty major character, uh, both because of that forward and also reading the back of the book and the like synopsis of what it's about. So hmm. even though we've only had one Erdetti scene, I feel like he'll be coming back. Yeah, I'm. so the first time that I read this, I completely missed his name. Mm. Like, I just, I did not, because, I don't know, there's something, like, it didn't seem like a name to me, I guess, when I read it the first yeah. time. And and so, I, as we kept, as I kept reading through the book, I would flip back to it occasionally and be like, but how does this connect to anything? I don't understand why this is there. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't... Thought that, I thought that the, I thought that the chapter with him mm -hmm. and his dithering waiting scenario and yeah. dithering overthinking everything in his house. I thought it had strong implications for people being locked in their houses during a pandemic. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Overthinking small things. I, I felt was for thinking him. About that too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. I felt I felt like I understood him more this time. <laughs> <laughs> or um, I was more sympathetic, maybe. Yeah. So so uh I did. I pasted in the years and and then a, a timeline of like what happens in the years. It's it's very difficult to keep track of and it jumps around a lot. Mm -hmm. um, yes. So we, we start out in the year of Glad, and that's right. in Arizona. Hal's in Arizona. 
Right. Yeah, he's at ASU. He's at a uh, uh, basically college, like an admissions. Entrance he's admissions. trying to lock yeah. down his tennis scholarship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, well, I, I think can we just kind of go through the different scenes of of what yeah. we've read? I feel like there's sure. this sure. this one in particular. I think there's a lot to unpack here. So he's like, he's there with um. With CT, is that right? Yeah, his uncle. His, his uncle, uncle yeah. right? Yeah, and there's and the some... tennis coach. His tennis coach is there with him. Yes, that's yeah. Dillon. His support Delint. people, uh, Aubrey yeah. Dillant. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there's some. Qu- they seem like they seem excited to have him as an a- athletic asset, but there's some question about his academic performance. No kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like, boom, right away. You know something is not right with Hal. Or not at what I think of as right. (laughs) Anyway. So, yeah, tell me more. Talk more about that. Like, what are you you picking up in this scene? Well, (laughs) (laughs) I I guess the whole, the, the whole first... The whole first chapter is like it encourages me to read the book because in a way it's I, I read a lot of mystery novels and in a way mm-hmm. it's kind of it's kind of a mystery. You know, here's this yeah. kid that was brilliant. I'm beyond brilliant. Uh, and all of a sudden a year ago, his test scores like cratered, as they say, I think. And mm-hmm. and he he. Uh, apparently, there's some communication problem that keeps him from being able to speak in a way that people can understand him and not be terrified or, or, of him. Or even, yeah, even to form a facial expression. E- e- and to some, smile when he understand. smiles, it terrifies people. And uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, and so, I, and so there's that going on, and yet, and so you think this guy, something horrible has happened to this guy along the way. And yet, what's going on? Because he apparently is also a brilliant tennis player. And so, mm-hmm. whatever and has happened to him is apparently somehow communication-related. But, yeah. But, but it, it, yeah, because it also seems like he is, based on his internal narration, if that's to be trusted, he seems... Uh-huh like very intelligent too and the director of composition right describes his writing as lapidary right. and effete and i think <laughs> that you could probably describe like hal's intellectual life in that way right right um, well you don't need grades to play tennis though so i don't necessarily understand yeah, from a higher you... education point oh. of view Higher education doesn't necessarily care if their athletes are also scholars. Yeah, but they're, is, su- yeah. they're supposed to pretend to care, though, aren't right. they? Well, and is it? I think it's, I think it's Delint <laughs> who says something like, "If if how were a if how were a lucrative football scholarship, I bet you wouldn't care as much about his test scores." Oh, right, mm-hmm. right. Um, Good point. Can, if I can interject just a brief aside here. Uh, one of the one of the essays that he wrote that they reference is titled "The Man Who Began to Suspect That He Was Made of Glass." Uh, there's another podcast that I listened to called "No Such Thing as a Fish." Oh yeah, and they talked about uh, the 14th century French king Charles VI, 
who is known as either Charles the Mad or Charles the Well Beloved. Mm. Um, could be both. Could be both. Uh, Probably he, is. He suffered from <laughs> what has become known as the glass delusion, which is a condition that has almost but not completely vanished since the 17th century. What? Uh, he, mm. uh, he believed that he was made of glass. He refused to allow people to touch him and wore reinforced clothing with steel rods sewn into it to protect himself from accidental shattering. Mm. Um, and this was, some, this was something that seemed to afflict the noble classes of Europe more than anyone else. Um, Does anybody know why? Uh, it's unclear. It was just a, a common delusion. Uh, and also thanks to Wikipedia's See Also section, I now know that around 1850, Princess Alexandra of Bavaria developed a similar delusion that as a child she had swallowed a grand piano made of glass which remained inside her. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Does this all come from interbreeding among the royal? Uh, Maybe. Could well be. There are really weird references in that chapter that Hal makes. He he says some really weird things. Like Mm -hmm. he says at one point, one point he said, I would bolt to the door ahead of them if I could know that bolting for the door is what the men in the room would see. Or or he's sitting beside somebody and he says, uh, he's cupping cupping what I feel to be a hand over my sports coat's bicep. What does he mean by that? What does he mean? I mean, mean, it seems... It's like he can't see him. Well... He seems disconnected from his physical... Yeah, yeah, he he has some sort of neurological disorder. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it seems it seems like he has he he's just completely lost the ability to be to, to like exist in his body. Yeah. Um, and right. and yet, based on what we can gather about his tennis playing, it doesn't affect his performance on the tennis court. Right, which yeah. is puzzling. Yeah. Well, it's puzzling, yeah. but um, at the same time. I believe it's in this chapter, this first chapter here, that he references a blind tennis player. Mm. Yes, yes, yeah. he does at some point. Yeah. Who has a special ball. Like he's right. going to play him in a match the next right. day or something, and they're going to have to use the ball that you use when you're blind. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And he must and he must be a really good tennis player because they're, you know, it's a tournament of these top these top young tennis players. So the blind guy must be good at playing tennis yeah. blind. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's really interesting. I missed that entirely. Oh, as, yeah. As you go through the as you go through the first 50 pages, there are, you know there are other things that come up like that's really weird comes up and there are other like weird physical issues that come up about other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes it sound like everyone is somehow a mutant. Hmm. A little bit. Yeah. But aren't we all? Aren't we all? Yeah, I guess we are is Um, the point. So speaking of like mysteries and and the mystery that's presented by this first chapter, there's there's a piece that I want to read that comes, I think it's after they've hauled him into the men's room and they're like holding him on the floor and, and, and he's kind of retreating into his head and, and reflecting on the situation. Um, he says, uh, I think very briefly of the late Cosgrove Watt. 
I think of the hypophalangeal grief therapist. I think of the mom's alphabetizing cans of soup in the cabinet over the microwave, of himself's umbrella hung by its handle from the edge of the mail table just inside the headmaster house's foyer. The bad ankle hasn't ached once this whole year. I think of John N.R. Wayne, who would have won this year's Whataburger, standing watch in a mask as Donald Gately and I dig up my father's head. There's yeah. very little doubt that Wayne would have won. Yeah, um, what's that? That's page 16 and 17. <laughs> page 16 and oh, 17. That's creepy. So it's past that for a second. That's yeah. creepy. It's like, that's, th- that, that uh, passage to me is like the puzzle of the entire book. And it's something that I kept flipping back to as I learned more about Hal and about like the events of the story. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that that's maybe the thing that compelled me to finish reading it the first time around is that I wanted to, I wanted as much explanation as I could get for that statement. Um, and it, and it does feel like there are all these little clues that point to things. Um, but it's, it's very unclear what they're pointing to. No kidding. Um, so he has that fit, um, and then we uh, then we jump to the year of the depend adult undergarment. Mm-hmm. But wait. Oh, is there wait, more? Is it in so that first chapter when he's having the fit that he makes the other comment that is just uh, alarming? Or is that later on uh, where he talks about... What the I ate something. Oh yes, there's this That's flashback. In between there's a flashback to on page ten. To oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Hal is a Hal is a very small child. And he says, as he's laying on the floor, and and uh, they're trying to decide what to do about him. He's he he says, although you know they won't That's understand it. it, but he tries mm-hmm. to tell them, call it something I ate. Oh. Yes, and yeah. then he yeah. tells the story of the the bizarre story of the moldy glop of whatever it right. was that he which had. is yeah, dis- like viscerally 11. disgusting. Yeah, ten yeah. eleven. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I don't. I mean, that's such. It's like. Um, is that really a thing that small children do? Not a five-year-old. <laughs> what was yeah, he doing but- in the basement? No one goes in the basement. Yeah what, well, was, yeah, what was a five-year-old doing unattended in a moldy basement? Wearing, like, Winnie the Pooh jammies or something. I don't know. He had yeah. some, you know. Yeah. And coming out and the, and eating it, finding this gross thing and then taking a bite of it and coming outside and telling your mother and brother, I ate something. I ate yeah. something. But I, <laughs> what I do you know. mean you ate something? <laughs> 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 Unauthorized eating. Okay. No kidding. But I don't know. Eating weird things is something kids do. I'm not sure yeah, if I, I guess. Is, but yeah. yeah. I mean, when I was a kid, I ate sand. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I feel like sand is a natural thing to eat, though. Yeah. It's all over the place. You're kind of curious what it is. But but I, I mean, Hal is also not a normal kid. I. Right. Yeah, but isn't is it, he more intelligent rather than less intelligent than the average bear? I suppose, but smart maybe people was have some, blind spots. Maybe yeah. it was some time of sci- uh, scientific exploration that he was doing. <laughs> right. What yeah. I found, what I found least likely, uh, was that a five-year-old would eat some kind of muck that he found in the basement, and then that he would go and tell his mother. Mm, I right. think most five-year-olds, if they got to the point where they would eat the muck. 
they wouldn't want to tell anybody. Unless mm. he was feeling really weird. Maybe he felt really weird Maybe. after he took yeah. a bite and then he became we also, worried. And, we also don't know how like we don't know how this resolves either. Right. No. We're just we're just left with that tempo. No, his mother's of, running around the garden screaming. Yeah. <laughs> Help and Orin my son is standing ate this. there looking at them. Yeah. Yeah. So is that like does he offer that as an explanation of the condition that he's in now? That's what he said. He said on page 10, his, he's laying on the floor and they're, you know, he's mm-hmm. trying he's trying to talk to them. Or maybe he's not on the floor yet. Was he on the floor? I think he is. No, maybe not. Oh, no. No. Maybe it's right before, right before he, maybe that's the first thing he tells them. Mm. Yeah. Maybe yes. that's the first yeah. thing he says. I cannot make myself understood now. Uh, yeah. Call it something I ate. My transcript, he's telling, my transcript for the last year might have been dickied a bit. But mm-hmm. that was to get me over a rough spot. Well, for the last year, A though. rough spot, so, yeah. A rough spot. So this spot. seems to have been... If, then, if then this is a result say, of Call the, it something I ate. Yeah. <laughs> I think, to me, that that seems not... Or less than sincere. It sounds like something dismissive. Like it's something that he maybe he thinks that he can't possibly begin to explain the whole right. thing. So so let's just call it this. Let's mm. just yeah, that was my let's just reason. simplify it down to that I ate something. Yeah, <laughs> it's happened to before. Why not gonna, now? Yeah. <laughs> so okay, so we go from that to um is is there anything else that we want to talk about before we get to the year of the depend adult undergarment um i just really wanted to uh say how much i love the quote i do things like get in a taxi and say the library and step on it yes um <laughs> because i relate really strongly to that yes the biggest thing for me for this first chapter was just how i guess horrified i am and how you know i i know the um forward was talking about how this book is you know despite not necessarily having years and everything or having no numerical year how it is firmly set in the 1990s mm-hmm. um and this does sort of back up that claim uh, just in terms of how this, these college professionals are reacting to this child with a neurological disorder. Yeah. Uh, which right. is something that horrifies me. And, I mean, Brianna, I would assume it horrifies you as well. <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, you know, you have somebody who's quite clearly disabled and you are like they are reacting very poorly yeah their their reaction is like shock and disgust right which is not helpful right no yeah but it is like this very like i i was thinking about this earlier today and i feel like this is set in a type of 1990s comedy dystopia where Mm. Like everything, like all of the slapstick comedies of the 90s and everything have somehow infiltrated their way into society and have created this <laughs> horrific world. You know, the idea of like uh, 
screaming and freaking out when you have uh, uh, somebody who is exhibiting, you know, a pattern of disability and everything. Um, I feel like that's something that's very much in this lowbrow 1990s comedy. Um, Mm -hmm. Even like in an 80s comedy, even, um, where you don't necessarily care who's in pain and who you're hurting mm, so yeah. long as the cishet white male writer and director think that what they're doing is comedy. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, I kind of read it the same way, except, except I think that I, that whole, that whole scene in the Dean's office made me, it convinced me that whatever is going on with Hal is beyond anything that people normally have seen ever. Because yeah. I give them a little benefit of doubt. And I think, well, these guys, you know, they're working in a university. They're doing athletic scholarships. They've certainly seen other students that, as Brianna said, you know, that they're really athletically talented, but they have other issues going on. So I, I kind of looked at it like, well, these are people that surely have dealt with all kinds of students with some disability or another and yet when they're confronted with Hal he is so off the charts different mm-hmm. that they can't they can't pull it together they can't well, which which makes me really alarmed about Hal or really alarmed for Hal maybe mm-hmm. yeah in addition looking at it from the perspective of Hal having a disability i'm unconvinced that in the 90s higher ed was in a place to adequately accommodate for that i I mean i do think if you're going to read it that way that that how has a like a severe cognitive disability or neurological disability or something um then i think that you also have to hold uh CT and Delint in extreme fault for, for misrepresenting his needs. That's true. They are yeah. basically ignoring them and trying to hide it as much as possible. Like, no, no, you don't need to talk to him separately. Mm-hmm. Right. Everything's yeah. fine. Which, yeah, that... which adds to the puzzle of Hal, because obviously there's something very, very, very uh, different about him and yet he seems very obviously fairly brilliant like at least linguistically really brilliant right uh and 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 physically brilliant with his tennis to the point where his uncle and tennis coach must i mean he must hal must get by just fine as long as he doesn't have to have to talk, I guess. I yeah. don't know. Although later, other places, it seems like he does talk. So yeah. I don't really understand. Yeah. Um, the way I'm kind of understanding it and parsing it out is it a lot of it has to do with, um, I guess, nervousness, uh, both nervousness oh. and uh, being in large social situations. Yeah, pressure mm-hmm. and things mm-hmm. like that. That uh, like the larger of a group he's in, or the more pressure he's under, or something like that. That oh, sort that of that could be yeah uh, triggers flares up. Yeah, triggers it. 
He's just weird, though. I before we leave that chapter, there on page seventeen somewhere, I think it says he's he's remembering being in the ER before. I think mm-hmm. like or he's mm-hmm. he's playing out how this is all going to go, and he says he says something like, and then the order an orderly will catch what he sees as my eye. Mm. <laughs> what does he mean by that? Yeah. <laughs> That's a weird thing to say. Yeah. Why not just catches my eye? He catches I mean, that, what he sees as my eye. Yeah, I, I, again, I think it's just that he feels completely disconnected from huh. his body. Huh. Yeah. And also, it's interesting because he talks a lot about the outside perception of what he is. And I think that the interaction of self-concept versus external concept built by other people is a theme that will perhaps carry on throughout. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so we should move on. Yes. So we go, mm-hmm. we go to the year of the depend adult undergarment. Oh, yeah. yes. Which we, I think we can safely assume is a different year than the year of glad, but we don't Seems know. Seems like a different universe. <laughs> Like yeah. what they are in relation to each other. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so this this is Erdetti and uh, waiting for the woman. Right. Mm-hmm. And he says um, he talks about things in his apartment that are not the kinds of things <laughs> that we have in our houses. He talks about right. the tele the teleputer and the yes. the, yeah. the yeah, land is... barge that comes and dumps the, the dumpsters barge, on his yeah. street. He also has his teleputer. Yeah, teleputer. And the, and the yeah, entertainment the cartridges or whatever they call them. And right, the... yeah. So I'm fascinated by the way that um, that the internet and, like, movies and television are represented in this book. And I think that at some point we get into a fair amount of technical detail and like historical context for how it came to be this way. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's something to, that's something I'm going to keep my eye on because I think that it's like, because he talks about um, uh, TP cartridges and the interlace system. Right. And and teleputers and, but then there's also ROM discs. Um, yeah, so so Erdetti is like, seems like kind of an, like a middle class or an upper middle ca- class professional person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's an interesting parallel that's drawn between him and this insect in his... Yes, yes. That was, I think that was the part that made me made me feel more connected to him because, you know, it, all of us sitting at home... Uh, noticing things that we don't maybe notice all the time. In my case, it's kitchen ants. Uh, mm. oh, in his oh, case, no. it's the bug on the shelf. Yeah. Is is there more to say about this section? I have to admit that I ah. didn't. Sorry. I didn't particularly like this section. Uh, I mean, it was fine. I actually thought that it was pretty responsible that he is planning all these things ahead of time for his uh bender i guess yeah yeah um saying his away message making sure that his colleagues are covering his stuff at work like that's pretty rad Mm -hmm. all things considered right yeah yeah it seems though i mean the the thing that i take away from it is that it seems like um 
less than being addicted to marijuana, it seems like he's just addicted to excess and like self-punishment for his excesses. Yeah, he says um, he doesn't even like it anymore. He doesn't right, like the yeah. way he feels. It's not right. that. It's which it's, seems like that's that's all part of the self-punishment ritual. I wasn't I, sure if I could trust him saying that he doesn't even like it anymore. Mm, right, that's fair because he's still yeah. doing it. He's yeah. not right. very likable. I no. don't think. Mm. Yeah. I found him. I found him. I found, although I was somewhat sympathetic with him being holed up in his apartment, I, I. If he were, if I had to be around this guy, he'd probably drive me crazy because he, he seems absolutely incapable of making a decision. Yeah. And, and he dithers. He just dithers all the time. And like in the end, he's, sta- he's caught between the, the doorbell, the buzzer, and the phone. And he, he doesn't know which one to answer. Yeah, it's like, like oh, for heaven's sakes. Oh, yeah. for heaven's sakes. And also sa- seems... I don't know, kind of OCD, kind of. Yeah, you yeah. Know, he I, over, I he's overthinking like that everything that he does, like getting planning for his his little week of of falling under the spell of his marijuana, and and he has all these little things that he has to do to get ready for it, and mm-hmm. and and all the. He also, uh, I think, later in the book, and maybe it's just. Maybe it's that last little chunk that maybe not everyone read when we get mm-hmm. toward 50 pages, but uh, where Hal is smoking marijuana down in the tunnels under the in of the of the tennis academy, and he mm-hmm. he says something about that he doesn't really. It's not the. It's not even the. It's not the the dope. It's not the marijuana. It's really the secrecy that he really loves. Mm. He loves, and and yeah. this guy kind of, it's like you were saying, Andrew, it's kind of like, or Brianna, one of you said, you know, it's almost more like it's the preparation and the, and, and making sure that nobody knows what he's doing because he's told everyone that he's quit. So no one yeah. can know that he's doing it. I don't know. Right. He's really irritating. <laughs> I wouldn't um, go get marijuana for him. No, neither would I. <laughs> um, so we go from we go from that to this is the first time we actually get a a date along with the year. <laughs> right, it's April first, the year of the Tux medicated pad. Yeah. Oh, that's this is so weird. This is so. This is how. Oh, yeah. Like eleven year old Hal. So we can yeah. assume that this is like. Uh, cause Hal is 17. Is that right? Right. Yeah. So we yeah. can, yeah. So we can assume that this is six years before the year of the, the Dean's office. Right. Yeah. Oh, okay. Or the, or the year. Right. Of, uh, the, yeah, year of the, uh, the year of okay. Glad. The year of yeah. Glad. Yeah. The year of right. the Depend yeah. is a different year. Different. We're not sometimes. quite sure where not, Depends, yeah. uh, is in relations to Glad and Tux. Right. Right. So this is, yeah. Let's talk about the... <sighs> What's going on here? <laughs> Norma, it sounds like you have thoughts. Oh, this was so <laughs> weird. It's just weird. Mm-hmm. Well, there are little hints. It seems like there may have been even little hints earlier, or maybe it's just vague memories of reading the very first part of the book years ago. But it seems that he and Hal and his father have some really, there's something weird about their relationship and their interactions and how they see each other and so Mm -hmm. this kind of this kind of 
is all about that. Uh, yeah. Uh, like his dad, I think, says he's 14 in this. Right. The, the, you know, he, he doesn't know his age. And uh, there he is. Dad is dad is disguised. Dad has disguised himself as a professional conversationalist. Mm-hmm. And yeah. made made Hal go to this appointment, and he's in disguise. And it's like, wait, and, it's like and, it's and like Hal, a it has a dreamlike quality to it. Yeah. I thought. Yeah, and Hal says this. Eleven-year-old Hal says this thing about like. My my father is under the delusion that I don't speak. Right, right. Which which again right. is like if if that is his dad in disguise, then they're having right. a conversation right now. But also right. it gets it gets back to this theme of it seems like Hal is is incapable of being understood. Right, yeah. right. Because it seems like you know this is from Hal's perspective. This chapter, it's mm-hmm. him telling it, uh, kind of. Mm-hmm. And and in it, and he's talking, but then, but then when he answers, it's it's not clear that his father hears anything, right? Yes, I mean, this is it's true. clear that Hal believes he's talking to his father, but it's also clear that his father believes that Hal isn't answering his questions because he gets more and more upset about it as they mm-hmm. go along, right? Yeah, and and what's unclear, at least for me, is whether or not it's Hal's father who is just not listening, or if it's mm. Hal who is un- still unable to communicate at this time. Yeah, and yet maybe thinks that he's talking. Right. It's- yeah, and he is. I mean, he's talking in the way that no eleven-year-old would ever talk. I kind of believe the way he talks because he, he says somewhere that like he's read, he, he consumes <laughs> books, right? He's read every mm-hmm. book in the library and he seems to, re- he seems to remember every single thing that he's ever read. So yeah, I, and that didn't surprise me so much as just that. Okay. Yeah. His, and it is his, this chapter that we learned that how 11 year old, Hal is memorizing the dictionary as well. Yes. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Quoting. Quoting the right. dictionary, page, column. <laughs> mm-hmm. Impressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, quite. Um, yeah. I guess one then has to think, is that a good thing to right, memorize right. the dictionary? <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe that's part of Hal's problem. <laughs> Maybe he has overdosed on words, mm, and that's what's yeah. causing all of this uh, Maybe when he tries to speak, too many words are converging in his mouth and coming out all at the same time. I also thought that it was interesting that it seems like there's actually a occurrence of onomatopoeia mm-hmm. in yeah. this chapter. And yeah. I uh-huh. don't remember yes. that being the case yes. anywhere slurping else. Slurping his, uh, yeah, his... Uh, <laughs> His soda that his father made him drink. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, bullied him into drinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, because he has like dry, dry, sticky sounds when he talks, right. when he opens yes. his mouth. Yeah. And it drives his father crazy. Yeah. <laughs> What's wrong with his father? His father is insane too. These mm-hmm. are all very his good sounds. more insane than Hal. I mean, Hal yeah, has a problem, like, but his father seems insane. Like, I mean, he seems paranoid. It, it, yeah. the, when he speaks, particularly towards the end of this section, yes. it seems like just kind of paranoid, unhinged 
random. Right, and like yeah. wants to wants to get Hal to tell him, like to to respond to his crazy notions, paranoid notions about what what mom is doing and what she's involved with, and and right. he says. He says that he's had a gyroscopic balance sensor and uh, uh, entertainment cartridge implanted in his uh, anaplastic cerebrum after his cruel series of detoxifications. Goodness. Um, yes. Yes. And it has apparently had all of his internal organs surgically removed. It's all, yeah. <laughs> As you do. As you do. He's, and he's totally bent out of shape that he can't get Hal to speak to him. Right, right. Even though it seems like Hal is speaking to him, mm-hmm. or not, we—it's hard to say. Mm-hmm. He does. So, so his, Hal's father does mention uh, his own father in this very uh-huh. briefly. He says he used to pray daily for the day his own dear late father would sit, cough, open that bloody issue of the Tucson Citizen, and not turn that newspaper into the room's fifth wall. Yeah, so um, his father didn't talk who, to him. Who, who's lived his whole ruddy, mm. bloody, cruddy life in a right. five in five walled rooms. Right. So it seems like this family has got issues that that span the generations. No yeah. kidding. Yeah, they all, every one of them that we've met, has just weirdness about them. Do you have a favorite of his family members? Hmm. I'm rather intrigued by Mario, but we don't know much about him yet. Yeah, we'll we'll get to yeah. we'll start we'll, we can talk about him a little bit. Is that what comes next? No, no, no we've Mario got... is a little bit later. Oh, okay, so we have well, we have. Um, uh, now we oh. go back to the depends undergarment oh, year okay. again, with, yes. and Hal is in it. Yeah. yeah so Hal's now now this is May ninth. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And this is the. Er, Erdetti, right? This is the Erdetti year. Yes. That yes. was also. Mm-hmm. Yes. Which is confusing because we still don't know the time frame. Right. Except right. it can't be it can't be that far gone from I mean hmm. when I read it when I read the Erdetti chapter, I thought it sounded like eighty years in the future, maybe. Mm. Mm. Which can't be right because Hal is still a young. I, yeah. I think they're still living in the. They're at school. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're living and, in well, the dorm. So. Yeah, and we don't find out here, but later in another depend year, we found out that uh, his father recently passed away. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, right. Right. This is the, this is just a little short one, the May nine one. Yeah, mm-hmm. so it's just, uh, it's it's this really inscrutable phone exchange. Right, with his brother, who doesn't doesn't say that it's his brother. But it also introduces Mario. Right. Yeah. It who took apparently four, has a very large head. It took four pillows to support Mario's oversized skull. Yes. The other thing, the other thing, though, the other weird thing is near the end of it, it talks about... Uh, and so Hal is very tender with Mario, it seems. Mm-hmm. And they mm-hmm. seem to communicate just fine. They talk yeah. they seem to be talking. Uh but then near the end he tells he tells Mario to go to sleep and then, then it says Hal put the good leg into the sweatpants first. 
So he has a good oh. leg and a bad leg. Oh well, he does mention mm. in that in the first chapter he's he does mention that he had an ankle. He had, he had, he had a bad ankle. Oh yeah, yeah yeah. Okay yeah. Oh okay. The good um, leg. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's unclear why Orin called Hal. Right. Or or what's going on there? Right. He says, There's another mystery. Yeah. He says. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says, uh, "I want to tell I you." I want my... to tell you. My head is filled with things to say. And and then Hal says, "I don't mind. I could wait forever." Right. And then Oren says, "That's, That's what, what you, you think. think." And he hangs up. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Very mysterious. And then the next chapter is also the year of the depend yes. underground. Yes. So yeah. this, this is this is uh, April first. Y-D-A-U. Um, so this ha- this happens actually before that phone, right, the previous right phone call Right before that, happened. right. Yeah. Right before mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Um, this is also incomprehensibly ah. weird. So this, this is, this is a, um, a Canadian. Arab, Arab Canadian. An Arab Canadian physician who's a medical. Attaché. Medical attaché. Yeah. To Prince Q of Saudi of the the, uh, right. the Saudi Minister right. of Home Entertainment. Right. Yeah. Right. Um. And Which so is a he, really funny title. It is. <laughs> it, I mean, you know, it, it's, it's really there's, weird. There's already a lot of Saudi money money in uh, North American entertainment industry, so it's not it's not that far fetched. I'm sure there no. was Saudi money in entertainment uh, in the U.S. in the mid '90s too. Um. I but like yeah, the so, line about the idolatrous West, most famous and self-congratulating idol, the colossal libertine statue, wearing some <laughs> type of enormous adult-designed diaper. A <laughs> 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 hilarious apposite image mm. popular in the news photos of so many international journals. <laughs> They're laughing at us. Yeah. Yeah, they are. Mm-hmm. That um, hits home. Mm-hmm. So there. So one of the things that I think is significant about this is that the the Saudi, or you know, interlaces interlace inter, interlace tell entertainment is this huge entertainment conglomerate company. Is it uh, owned and, by the Saudis? No, they're they're it's in not. The, they're in the U.S. to do a deal with them. It oh, says. okay. All um, right. But the inter, interlaces two offices are in Boston and Phoenix. Uh huh. Um. And this, I believe, is in Boston, right? Yes, I think it is in Boston. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't think it's necessarily said that it's in Boston, but we also know that it's not in Arizona. Right. Um. I feel like the uh, reference to the Libertine statue places it. (laughs) Pretty decidedly on the East Coast, but maybe that's mm-hmm. maybe not. Yeah. 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 Um. Okay. Other other things we want to talk about in this. I hate him. Sorry. <laughs> you hate him. I, yeah. I I find his behaviors he, he's, really he seems annoying. Pretty his, detestable. He mm-hmm. is, he does his he's his wife has to take care of every little thing for him, and when she's not there, he's going to run amok. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh! Because. 
because uh, he can't do it. He can't care for himself. He seems <laughs> he seems like and I don't know if it's just a quirk of his personality or if this is something that's like culturally treasured by people in this time period yeah. to have like the 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 meal trough tray that fits it yeah. that's like molded specifically to him and See, the I think that yes probably but the reliance that he has on his wife is perhaps him yeah and yeah. so uh the uh ro- the gender roles in that yes really really rankle me yeah, mm-hmm. yeah i figured they would <laughs> <laughs> i'm so easy to peg <laughs> it's like the image of the old you know the old noble people late reclining on their chaise lounge with the yeah. with the their their servants and their wives dropping grapes into their mouth for them. Right. Those, yep. those images mm-hmm. is very similar to that. Mm-hmm. And what but, is he watching? Yeah. So so there's he's that's got the mystery he, there. He can't find. Um, so there's this whole thing about like they can they can rent cartridges. Yeah, they get um, cartridges somehow or other. Yeah. yeah. Well, it sounds like part of the the ritual is that his wife goes and rents cartridges for him. Yes. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. has them all stacked and ready them. for him to play through. Because yes. right. she knows what he likes. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. But because she goes she's through, out today. And, and when things come in the mail, she looks through them to make sure they're things that, you know, that he would right. like. Right. Yeah, he's, he's he unexpectedly home, right? He's never right. home he, on Wednesday he's, nights. He's, but he's sent he got... home because the prince is angry at him. Yes. yes. It all has to do with the prince's obsession with Toblerones. Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and this is when we find out that apparently Toblerone only comes on Wednesdays, and Wednesday is oh, right. a big Toblerone day. Right. Yeah, and so everybody <laughs> right. goes out and gets Toblerone that yeah, day. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. It seems like there was another reference to Toblerone somewhere too. Was that there her is. There is later. Yeah, later. I oh, underlined it. Later. Oh, okay. <laughs> Did it make you want to go out and buy some? <laughs> yes. A little bit, yeah. Or order them online now for delivery. Right. Yeah. It's why he needs a medical attache, actually, is because of all the of all the bad effects that he gets when he eats the Toblerone. So he has yeah, well, to oh, yes. he can't stop eating, so he needs the medical attache to deal with all the Yeah, because he bad only things. eats Toblerone. Right. Oh. Right. <laughs> all of his vitamin deficiencies because uh-huh. and like <laughs> infections in his mouth. Toblerone. He gets yeah. thrush and all yeah. kinds yeah. of bad things. Yeah. So so anyway, so the attache is home and he's desperate for something to watch. And, and he's gonna run amok. He's, he's running run amok. amok. Yeah. And he so he finds uh, in amongst the mailers this mysterious uh, yeah. package that says uh, postmarked from suburban Phoenix that says happy anniversary yeah. in the yeah. return address yeah. space. Yeah. With a small drawn crude face smiling in ballpoint ink instead of a return address oh, yeah. or incorporated yeah. logo. Yeah. Hmm. Diabolical um, sounding. And, and, and then the, the, um, dun, 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 the cartridge yeah. itself is wholly unlabeled. Right. Um, 
and has only another of these vapid USA-type circular smiling heads embossed upon it where the registration and duration codes are supposed to be embossed. So it seems like some kind of a bootleg or something? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But he's, yeah. he's so desperate for anything to occupy his mind that he decides to put it in and see you what's know, on it. You know what I... One of the things I think I hate most about him is mm -hmm. that he finds that cartridge and I don't get the sense that he's super curious and he's like, what could it be? What in the world is this? It's just like, there's a cartridge. I'll yeah. put it in. Yeah. Yeah. It's something Because I to don't do. have another one that's, that I haven't watched or that's, you know, so I'll just put it in. He's not even, it doesn't even seem that like interested to see what it will be, yeah. even though it's, even though it's, to us, it seems very mysterious to him. It's like, yeah, there's a cartridge. <laughs> <laughs> so he's so annoying. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so, so we leave him when he has just put the cartridge in Yes, and we, and we get to this section that's, um, uh, n is it narrated by I guess Clinette by Clinette. It's narrated yeah. by oh, Clinette, yeah. but it's mostly about um, Wardine. Wardine being beaten and abused, and what they're going to do about it. Yeah. I found this so difficult to read. This I was do. so sad. So mm -hmm. I, I found it was very sad. It was really bleak. I also yeah. I also am uncomfortable with the way that it's written. Yeah. So yeah. It, it's written in like. Uh, like African American vernacular English, yeah, mm -hmm. um, which DFW is not. Which DFW nope. is not. Mm -mm. Uh, and, and so, is it like? I think there there would have been some hullabaloo about this if this were in a book that were published today. Probably, we would be talking about cultural appropriation, and yeah, and like I don't know, literary blackface or something. Maybe is that too kind strong of. to say that? I don't think so. I don't think so either. I mean, I do know. So I know from there's an he in one of the essays in Consider the Lobster. He writes about, uh, and it's it's something that comes up uh, in, in a few thematic ways throughout this book. This this contest between grammatical prescriptivism and descriptivism, hmm. um, and and so he he wrote this essay that argues for the, like, the validity of AAVE... AAVE being? African-American vernacular English. Um, mm. uh, but, it, so it seems like he has, um, he has an interest in AAVE as its own linguistic thing, and, and he has a respect for it as, as a form of writing and speaking, but it still feels like kind of a mask that he's putting on that seems... It feels a little icky. Yeah, it does. Yeah. But then, but men, but then the the descript. I mean, the story is icky. Yeah, so that too. It just, maybe right. it just adds to the ickiness. Yeah, well, but somehow. this is also, I feel like it also makes it uncomfortable and. Yeah, and for me, it also adds almost a little bit more towards the uh, blackface um, analogy. Yeah, in mm. a way where. You know, right now, in this chapter written in uh, African-American vernacular English, uh, it's all about ha uh, a mother beating children and things like right, that. And basically that's playing true. into this um, yeah. racist stereotype. Right. Yeah. 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 It's icky. 
Well, yeah. one of the things that I find particularly icky is this is one of, if not the first, uh, first-person uh, se- narrated sections mm-hmm. of the book. Mm-hmm. So not only is he telling this stereotypical story of mother beating child because apparently child is seducing boyfriend, but he's doing it in the first person as opposed Mm to a very close third person narrative. Yeah. Why did he choose to go first person in this one, but maybe not in the interview with Hal and the admissions? Yeah. The other thing that's true. The, the other thing that, is a little striking is so up in so I reading up to this point and I have all these questions about when stuff is happening and where stuff is happening and what's wrong with these people and yet there's something there's something even more horrifying by about that those couple pages where they're telling Wardeen's story. Something Maybe because it's so clear that this kind of stuff does happen to people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know that we have any connection between this and the other narration. It, it's also in a year that we don't. It's it's the year yeah, we of the trial size the dove bar, and we don't know mm-hmm. where yeah. that, how that relates. Speaking of dove bars, the chocolate company was actually founded first in 1939. Whereas uh, the soap company started in 1955. I would have thought hmm. that I would have guessed. The I other was way curious around. about whether we're team chocolate or team soap. Like which which type of dove do we think this trial size bar is? Just out of curiosity. Hmm. See, I, think, I didn't think. Of, I guess so, I was thinking. I was thinking <laughs> chocolate, but same. But, but maybe secret. not. But I was. Thinking, really really I've been thinking more about this. And I, I always thought it was chocolate, but the more I think about it, the more I think that you wouldn't describe a chocolate bar as being trial size. You guess. might describe it as being like bite size or fun size yeah. or something. But and it also doesn't that fit with the, for... it doesn't fit with the, the tux medicated pad and the adult environment. Right. So yeah. would fit Thematically. more with that. I've been team soap. So? I have, I yeah. have to interject yeah. here that I'm going to take my laptop with me, but I have to go baste a turkey that I have roasting in my oven. Ooh. <laughs> Excuse me? Um, <laughs> Which maybe fits with the bizarre quality of this book. But okay, yeah. I have a turkey in my oven, so if you hear weird noises, it's me <laughs> It's me basting okay. my turkey. Excellent, excellent. Right. I'm really right. concerned about these sounds that we're going to yeah. get. <laughs> um, so we've got uh, the, the other thing that happens in the year of the trial size Dove Bar is this thing about Bruce Green... Uh, well, it, oh, it right. seems like an... that. Oh yeah. It it like ends. I think it ends in the year of the trial size dove bar. But it talks about how when he was in eighth grade, Bruce Green fell in love with a classmate named Mildred Bonk. And she was mm-hmm. so sweet and lovely and perfect. Yeah. And then she became uh, uh, like like um. A reprobate. Yeah, yeah she yes, became a, a, a punk or. She became a punk. She became and, a bad influence to him. Yeah, and so he has to practice until he's also big and scary. Right. And then, and then they fall in love and move in together into a trailer with a pot dealer named Tommy Ducey. 
Yeah, and now right. this sweet. pot dealer, this is the same pot dealer that Erdetti was talking. That's what or, I wanted. Is, woman was is it the same I suspect. one? I believe I suspect so, that because um, There's I only one pot the woman definitely described him as living in a trailer park. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I believe it was that he lived with a bunch of reptiles as well. Oh. Yeah, I, I also thought that there was most yeah. likely connection there. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Um, in case anyone oh, cares, and yeah, the other big my thing turkey is, uh, is looking fantastic. Oh, good. In case anyone oh, cares, fantastic. so there you go. We all care. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, um, the other big thing is the hair lip that the pot dealer was described as having oh, a hair yeah. lip in the Ardetti yes. section. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so it's got to be the same person. Mm-hmm. Um, so then we're back to the year of the depend adult undergarment. And yep. we have this, like, nighttime conversation between Hal and Mario. Yes. Um, yeah, yes. and here's where we find out that in the year of the dependent adult undergarment, that um, himself, the father, is now dead. Yes. Right. And seems to have died, like, fairly recently, but it doesn't seem like a fresh wound. You know what I mean? Like they right. they have enough distance that they're reflecting on how the death has affected other members of the family. Yeah. Yeah. I was so I was so focused on Mario. I just mm-hmm. I was trying to figure Mario out when I read this. Yeah. Uh and his relationship with Hal, which seems mm-hmm. as I said before to be rather like quite tender. Yeah. Really. Yeah, and, for sure. Uh like they both they they both really care about their brother. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, more of a warm feeling than you get anywhere else in the book when anyone yeah. is talking about or to another person. You really feel like oh, here's a little here's a little warmth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is also a section where it is very clear that Hal is able to communicate. Mm-hmm. This is true. Oh, yeah. yeah, he's at least able to communicate to Mario. If Mario yeah. is real, Mario with his giant head. Right. If Mario is real. <laughs> I mean, if any of them are real. If any of them are uh, real, yeah. right? Are any of us real? <laughs> and uh, the whole question about you know why wasn't mom's why didn't mom's cry mm. uh, when when himself passed away do you think that's weird you know mario keeps pushing him on that do you think it's odd and they they kind of don't agree on whether she got sad or not mario thinks Mm -hmm. she didn't and hal thinks she did in her own way yeah and they both very carefully avoid uh the question of whether they were sad themselves when himself passed away well mario is pretty clear that he was sad he was sad and he does say he does say to Hal, you listened to Tosca over and over and cried and said you were sad. Oh. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Um, and there's the whole question about do you believe in God or... Right. Uh, I, I do really like what Hal says there that uh, uh, they he, he and God have administrative bones to pick. Yes. And that mm-hmm. he, he's pretty much yeah. anti-death and that God looks by all accounts to be pro-death. Right. Right. 
Yeah. yeah, I like that too. The administ- Where does he say that? I, we have admin- yeah, there. administrative bones to pick. Yeah, yeah. I like that too. All things considered, I thought that it was a premature conversation about grief and death for mm-hmm. people who are, what, 16? Presumably and- teenagers, right? Teenagers. Yeah. We, well, we don't know how, how old Mario, Mario is. Yeah, Although we don't know how old still- Mario is. Hal is at least a teenager. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. And they're still they're still apparently roommates because right. they're <laughs> this is like bedtime conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love Mario. I I'm always happy when Mario pops up. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's he's maybe my favorite character of the whole book. And also at this time, uh, the medical attaché is still watching. Still the watching. We yes. don't know what's on it. We don't know, we why, don't know why he's watching, but he is. Yes. Right. Yeah, he's been right. watching for about a little over 40 minutes, it looks like. 40 hmm. or 50 minutes. Huh. Yes. Yeah. Because really? it was, was 1920. 1927 hours when he started. Ah. Uh, now it's hmm. 2010 hours. Gotcha. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Hmm. Hmm. On April. So Thank you for doing that math. It's on April. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Did you know? Did you it notice April it's Fool's on Day. April Fool's yeah. Day? Yeah, mm-hmm. also very closely aligns with our current date. Yes, it mm-hmm. does. Um, coincidence? Coincidence? Probably. Definitely. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so then we get we we jump forward. Um, and and we are we are with Oren in Candenza in Phoenix, and he's <laughs> not happy. You, you know mm-hmm. what? So I hadn't been to Phoenix for a million years until Sam, your cousin Sam, was living there, and I went to visit. And I really just enjoyed the description of the heat in Phoenix. <laughs> the, yeah. This whole chapter is just filled with the, little little. The, there's one that's it's actually in the, in the first chapter, I think, that I really liked, where he says the sun is a hammer. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah. yeah, yeah, just like oppressive heat and and talks about how and and inside when you're inside a building the air conditioning is always cranked way up so it's really cold inside and then you go out and it's just beastly hot it's just mm-hmm. ridiculous mm-hmm. the other thing that i the other thing uh, that comes up in this chapter that I keep wondering about this. Some things you read, you think it's very solidly set in like it could be happening right now. And other right. and and in this place, this world that we live in, others seem so remote and, and fractured from now. But in this one, he has there's so all these references to the the honey bear. You know, he's putting honey, mm. he eats honey mm. on stuff. Yeah. And he has the honey bear. And I think that's such like this little warm, comforting little object. Yeah. If you've mm-hmm. had a honey bear that you squeeze and get this yummy sweet stuff out of, uh, there's something so comforting about that in this book that's so uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. He's got um, problems after leaving too. the subject. He does. He has, he has serious <laughs> problems. He's got like his small. They talks about his smaller right arm and his oversized left left arm and leg. Yeah. What? Mm-hmm. Well, he's so he's. Um, but he plays baseball or something, doesn't he? Plays he plays in the for NFL. the Cardinals football, or football. Yeah. He plays yeah. for the the Cardinals. Yeah. So I so think it his big a, leg is the one he kicks with. Yeah, because he's a punter. So I think that's his <laughs> but, kicking leg. Yeah, mm-hmm. but but 
But <laughs> but seems like roaches, this which I also I I can commiserate with him on that. Yeah. Yeah. Roaches are terrifying. I don't like them either. But mm-hmm. he has a yeah. real, a real. His, his solution to it is a little ghastly. It is ghastly. Mm-hmm. He only does he only does it that way because he doesn't like the splatter that he makes when he steps on them. So right, right. It seems rather self serving to make give them a slow death inside a glass instead. Mm-hmm. He... This also had problematic feminist issues. Oh yes. yes, yes, yes. He calls his conquests. Subjects, which Mm -hmm. is really tacky. Yeah. It's also interesting that the way that he talks about the subjects, it also seems like he's disgusted with himself for needing that intimacy or wanting that intimacy, which parallels pretty neatly to Erdetti's need of marijuana. Yeah, right. and, um, and also the I mean, Ordetti's own uh, relationships. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, and he obviously uh, he can't sleep, right? He has terrible nightmares, and he sweats mm-hmm. until he leaves salty rings on his sheets. He has, right? he has nightmares mean, he, about his mom. Yeah. 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 He has nightmares, and He's never seen a psychotherapist though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. That was a footnote, right? That he's right. never. Yeah. Uh, so how does he even function if he's not sleeping? I don't know. It's very not weird. Well. Not well. Yeah. He doesn't. The, and, uh, yeah, he seems he seems very unhappy with his with his fate. Yeah, it's like he uh, he awakened yeah. from a night of horror show dreams, woke up with an abrupt fetal spasm, unrefreshed and benighted of soul, his eyes wobbling. I mean, his how wet silhouette on the bottom sheet like a coroner's chalk outline. I mean, He's got, this guy has serious issues. He does, mm-hmm. yeah. No, so it's no wonder that he doesn't have relationships with these women that are in his, because mm-hmm. he's he's so clearly not okay in his own head. Yeah, yeah. Yes, so, and this, the creepy dreams of his mother's head attached to his tennis racket, right? Well, not attached or, to his tennis racket, attached to, to, him, his, own to his own head. face. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but it's yeah. attached yeah. with tennis rackets. Tennis ra- oh, that's right. Yeah. That's what it yeah. is. And yeah, and he also has that like terrible omen of the dead bird falling into his jacuzzi. Oh yes, yes, right. that's, yeah. And uh, oh, this is the other reference to Toblerone. Yes, yeah. there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that, he wishes that, the subject would take her stuff and take her Toblerone out of the freezer and go. So mm-hmm. is Toblerone an excess that other people have, but not any of the reader-facing characters want to indulge in? Oh, that's interesting. That, yeah. Because, yeah. that is interesting. <laughs> because it's the subject and it's uh, Prince Q, right. whereas we're following Orin and the medical attache. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Is there a disdain for this Toblerone? Hmm. I think Toblerone deserves a fair shake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it does definitely does seem like Toblerone is um sort of a class marker in a way. Mm. Mm. That could yes. be. Yeah. What else comes up here? I think it's well, uh Yeah, go ahead. There's that whole horrific uh schizophrenia uh documentary that Oren watches oh, oh right. which is another right. yeah deeply horrifying 
thing right. with disability. Just like the reaction with the administrative committee, it's something that really doesn't seem to care how right. much it's hurting someone. Right. Uh, that it's basically feeding into all of this patient's horrified reality or their perceived reality, but making it into an actualized reality, which mm. is something that should not happen. Um, something that is just basically making this illness even worse and is just causing trauma and horror to the patient. Right. Yeah. Reacting, re reacting and responding with disgust instead of like they're a Compassion. human person. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The the more that you talk about that, Vinny, the more I think about um, how the relationships amongst people are really dysfunctional. Um, yeah, and they're it the treatment of people with disability or mental concerns magnifies that and yeah. the lack of care. It's just like there's, there's very little empathy between anyone that mm -hmm. we've seen so far. Yeah. Maybe just Except Hal and Mario. Mario. Yeah. Mario. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, Hal yeah, and Mario. Yeah, it feels like Mario is the only really empathetic one that we've met. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Although Oren, you know, some of his conversations with Hal. Yeah, like I, yeah. I feel like Oren and Hal, I feel like they have some form of empathy to each other, but it may be, I mean, we'll have to see how... It yeah. plays out in the book, but it may be colored by ideas of masculinity and things like that. Mm -hmm. Whereas mm -hmm. with uh -huh. um, Mario and Hal, I think it is a much clearer, much more honest um, connection that they have. Maybe the Toblerone thing is that it's like uh, Toblerone is this sweet uh, uh, treat, kind of almost reward. Maybe Maybe these characters that we have seen don't believe that they deserve that they don't have access to that kind of that kind yeah. of I can, sweet I, can see that. Uh, I don't know distraction distraction Decadence. and reward and just mm, rewarding decadence. i don't know uh, being kind to yourself atley mm. excuse me <laughs> don't lick that <laughs> Parachute would just like you all to know that she's been a very good kitty and she's sat here this whole time and she hasn't caused any problems at all. Oh. Half her face is flat because she's been laying on it. Yeah. Oh. Sorry. My cat was getting ready to, <laughs> my cat was getting ready to lick my turkey basting brush. Oh, <laughs> no. And I, and I did not want him to and now he's mad at me. He's mm. angry because I went over and put a lid on I covered it up, and now he's glaring at me. As How only my Atlee can. Oh, he's going to hmm. get up close and personal now. Oh. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'll share turkey with you, okay? How about that? So we started out with, like, what were your preconceived notions of Infinite Jest coming into this experience? I'm curious if, if these 50-ish pages have confirmed those preconceived notions or if you find yourself thinking differently or where are you at after 50 pages well for me it's a lot lighter i suppose i mean you know despite all of the like um misery 
yeah, misery and everything. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's a lot lighter than I was expecting it to be. I'm probably going to keep on going back to you know describing it as slapstick, which is uh, how it was described either solely on the back of the book in the foreword or maybe in both. But there is this very slapstick, lowbrow comedy type feeling running through it, despite it being so much about this lack of connection or people be uh, trapping themselves in their apartment or things like that. It's written in a way that's very comedic, despite things not being a comedy. I think that I am a little less I, I am a little less worried about all the things that I don't understand. Um and I was surprised uh reading this part at least that it that for somebody who does read a lot of mysteries, there is really a mystery the the mystery formula going on too about, you know, the setting out things that I don't understand, but I hope that I will as I go along. And there's some, obviously, and I, and I, we haven't gotten maybe to as many of the sections as we will, where it goes on. And he goes on and on and on with stuff that I just want him to stop talking about because it's so boring. Uh, mm-hmm. But this part, at least, all the, all the chapters were pretty engaging, I have to say. Mm-hmm. With some, with some difficult pages here and there yeah Yeah. i i agree so far i remember from my first read getting to a point somewhere in like the middle of the book where there was a section that was like long and like really long sentences in long paragraphs about something that seemed really dry with with long end notes with long end notes and i remember i remember there being there there's like one particular point and if we keep going i'm sure we'll come to it where i was like this is it feels like he's punishing me for reading the book yeah you yeah. have that to look forward to, friends. Yeah, but oh, I yeah. do. I mean, there's also a lot of really great, fun stuff, um, and I I think that a lot of the the intrigue for me comes from, uh, like yeah, understanding or, or or trying to put together the pieces of this mystery that that is the the Incandenza family, right. Um, uh, but also just trying to understand the this society that everyone's living in because right. there's there's so much that's just only kind of hinted at and that the, like you need a, you need to do a lot of inferring to get at what's really going on there. It's just really weird. I, some places, you know, they're in some parts they they say things like there's the honey bear, for instance, which is so firmly planted in our time and space. You get honey in a little bear bear container at the grocery mm-hmm. store or i think at one point he's talking about the tennis tournament and venus williams is maybe going to come and watch him play and that oh, also yeah. firmly ties it like well that's us now yeah, you know yeah venus day, williams could go and watch a, a high school tennis match right today she might she probably yeah. does do that sometimes yeah. uh so you have that and then but right along with it you have these strange uh uh, other things that that are not of our time and place, and mm-hmm. yeah. so existing together is is I guess part of the 
confusion and maybe it will be resolved and maybe not. <laughs> but maybe that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Uh, we're <laughs> we're going to dial back our target page count. Uh, we'll be talking about pages 50 to 78. Um, our music is by David Nichols. You can listen to his podcast, The Land of Random, on Spotify. Um, does anyone have anything that they want to say to any imaginary listeners out there, like place, uh, other things that you're working on that they might be interested in, or anything else? Uh, let's see. Uh, I guess if you wanted to, you can follow me and my paintings on Instagram at CardboardVV. Uh, that's C-A-R-D-B-O-A-R-D-V-V. Highly recommended. They're excellent paintings. Uh, you can you can see some of my films and some of my writing on my website. That's agingrick.com. I want to do a shout out for those of you like Vinny who are going to work still, right? Yeah. Because yeah. yeah, people absolutely. are depending on you. Uh, and uh, to those of you who are valiantly forging ahead with schoolwork that <laughs> you should have been able to be enjoying in class with your fellow students and especially to all the teachers out there, uh, preschool mm -hmm. through college level. Oh my who gosh, have preschool in, teachers. Yeah, who have yeah. in like a week or two turnaround time are sending out stuff for kids little and big to <laughs> try to do to fill some time and give their brains something to think about. Yeah, so mm -hmm. I'm impressed by all of you. I'm just happy if I can get my turkey out of the oven properly. <laughs> Go visit uh, Andrew's grandma today and mm, uh, nice. and not infect her with the coronavirus. So. Hooray! Okay. Yay! Um, and as for you all listening at home, I'm pretty sure you downloaded this by accident, or maybe you don't exist. But if you do, I'm almost going to have to implore you to have a lemon soda. Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye. I heard birds chirping. Was that on your end, Vinny? That was probably on my end. Yes. What what birds are those? Uh, so baby chicks. <laughs> baby chicks and baby turkeys. Oh, no. uh, oh. yeah.